Hey everybody, welcome to An American F1. Yet again, I'm your host, Brendan Klein. And this week, we are entering another week without F1. And it is truly sad. But on the bright side, for those of you that are counting down for the next race, our next race in Bahrain will be in 80 days and 4 hours. So we're making it there, slowly but surely. Now... I was thinking about what could we do in these next 80 days to make the F1 time go quicker. So I figured, you know what, while we have this time, might as well try a breakdown of every F1 team going in the order of the Constructors' Championship. So basically, going to break down how each team did this year in the 2021 season, starting with the Pride and joy of America Formula One Racing, the Haas F1 team. So, this is our first team review. We'll see how it goes. I'm going to try to get all of them in that I can. Obviously, the one issue being that we might run out of time, so I might have to combine a few teams. I already planned this one out. So, Haas, well, I probably could have combined Haas with Alfa Romeo or Williams. I really should have combined Maybe Haas, Alpha. Nah, not Williams, because Williams had a good enough season. But Haas and Alpha probably could have combined. But we're going to see how it goes. And then, of course, we'll report on some other things at the end of the podcast. But our first review, the Haas Eurokali, Eurokali, Eurokai, Eurokali, um, F1 team. So, going into the 2021 season, we knew from the beginning that Haas F1 was not going to be that spectacular. We knew from the beginning that they had basically decided they were going to destroy their 2021 season, sacrifice their 2021 season in hopes of developing a stronger 2022 car with, of course, the new regulation changes that are coming. Along with that, along with not really developing their car for the 2021 season, Haas made a few other developments. One of the first ones being that they were going to hire two rookie drivers, which many saw as a surprise. But when you break it down, it's really not that surprising. We know that Haas was searching for additional revenue. And the two drivers brought some of that in and brought some name recognition as well. So, of course, we know by now the two drivers that are racing currently for Haas and scheduled to race for 2022 are Mick Schumacher, son of the great Michael Schumacher, bringing with him his name recognition and, of course, his talent from Formula 2. Mick was a Formula 2 champion, had success in Formula 2, not a bad driver, definitely a rookie driver still, but Maybe not a generational talent like maybe a George Russell or Orlando Norris of more recent or a Charles Leclerc of recent generations, but definitely a driver with skill and I would say significant potential and significant upside. Of course, Schumacher also being a Ferrari development driver. So Mick came in and an F2 champion. So Mick came in with a significant pedigree and uh, you know, significant stats to back it up in Formula 2 and a season in Formula 2 to back it up. The other end of that, the other spectrum, is of course Nikita Mazepin. A very controversial hire. 
there were better drivers than Akita in the F2 season. Better drivers that might have been a great option for Haas. Maybe just throwing one out there, Callum Illett, for example, could have been a great situation at Haas for him. There could have also been older drivers. They could have kept one Roman Grosjean or Kevin Magnussen as well. But Haas decided to go with Nikita Mazepin. And we know why that was. Haas needed revenue. And with Nikita, with Nikita Mazepin, they get revenue from Dimitri Mazepin, Nikita's father. Who obviously is an owner of the chemical company Eurokali, which is now a prominent sponsor of the Haas F1 team. You could even argue that they are basically partial owners of the Haas F1 team now with their name prominent over the sponsorship of the car. And of course, this American-based team kind of hurts. I know it's red, white, and blue, but we know it's not the right red and blue. Red, white, and blue. It's uh, Russia's red, white, and blue on the American F1 team's car. But hey, if it means money, it's unfortunate that money means so much in Formula 1. But money talks, money makes the car development happen. And that is why they're such a prominent sponsor on the Haas F1 car. And of course, that's why Nikita Mazepin is on that team. Listen, Nikita, you could look at his GP3 stats, his F2 stats. He had two wins. He's never really had what you would call an amazing season. Uh, He does kind of have this reputation as a driver that, has been a little hot-headed, a little dangerous at times, and you know maybe not ready for a Formula 1 seat. And I don't mean to trash Nikita Mazepin. I really don't want to make that about him. I don't want to trash him. He's still a rookie driver. He still has time to develop. And, you know, he can succeed in the sport. doesn't mean he's not going to. So Nikita Mazepin definitely has the potential maybe to develop into a mid-level driver. But it's just too early to say. And I don't want to go on and on about Nikita. And of course we know that he has his personal issues off the track as well. Which I really hope he has learned from and matured from. But enough about the drivers. Let's talk about the season that was the 2021 season for Haas F1 Racing. This season that was basically going to be a throwaway season for the team. So... We're trying to think of the high points and low points of Haas Racing. There were, unfortunately, many low points for Haas Racing. Uh, The ones that really stand out for me, um, you know, for Bahrain, Nikita's first race, it unfortunately set the reputation of Nikita Mazespin uh, with him spinning out, I believe, in practices and quali, and then, of course, in the race. I think it was a total of three times over the weekend he spun out. Um... You know, Saudi for both drivers was not really the best with Mick and his hard crash. Nikita getting caught up in an incident as well. Um, Monaco, both drivers were just near the back. Um, they came together almost at Monza, or they did come together at Monza. Mick spun out. Um, the Zandvoort quali drama too, uh, between almost taking out Seb and holding up his lap. So there were a lot of low points, unfortunately, for Haas that we can think of. Now... On the bright side with Haas, there were some bright points. Uh, Hungary, Mick was fighting. Even though, albeit, he was fighting with the broken car of Max Verstappen, Mick was fighting at Hungary. Uh, There were times at uh, Turkey, he made Q2. Um, In Qatar, they looked to have a stronger car as well. The unfortunate thing, though, for Mick is the times where he had the machinery 
and the time to make the Q2, he just couldn't put it all together. So if we think about a Q2 in France, right? So Mick was about to qualify for Q2 in France, crashed out. And you could argue that he partially made Q2 in France because he brought out the red flag, which then caused him to get into Q2 and stop Q2 effectively. Um, same thing with Monaco. Uh, in Monaco, Mick was having a potential for a good weekend. It was probably a race where he could have qualified decently, crashed his car in P3, unable to qualify. The same thing happened at Hungary as well, where Mick may be a track that more suits the Haas car, where the little slower speeds, the more technical um, requirements of the tracks, maybe favored someone like Mick to get a decent quality effort, and it just didn't happen. Uh, there was also, of course, um, he had the spin at Imola as well. So, um, unfortunately for Mick in the wet weather, right, he kind of spin into the barriers there, effectively ruining his race as well. Um, there were also some incidents with, uh, for example, with um, Fernando in Mexico during Q2. Uh, not uh, with, uh, an incident with Fernando in Mexico. And then the next race, uh, he also had an incident with Ocon as well during the race itself at Mexico. So Mick had moments of brightness in his season, uh, moments where he had these Q2 appearances, but he just couldn't put everything together into making it a complete season for a minute. And it's unfortunate for Mick because these were his times to shine, and in those moments he just proved his inexperience or his lack of experience. And also, you know, obviously the car being the car that it is, didn't help him too much. So it's really unfortunate for Mick. Um, and Mo- Mick was mostly the bright spots for Haas. Um, you know, Nikita had the chance in Brazil where he was feeling like he had a really good car, buffed it on the quali. And Nikita was actually visibly upset where I think he was almost crying at it. Um, showing that, again, these guys are drivers. They have. Re- I know we like to pick them apart and make fun of them, but these guys are drivers that do care about their car and their team and they want to succeed. They want their team to succeed. But overall, Mick was the undisputed leader of the team. And that also caused some embarrassing moments for the team as well. Uh, we can think of Baku, right, where we had our Nikita-Mick moment. And then, of course, we had the whole debate over who gets priority in qualifying at Zanvoort as well. And that was that Zanvoort quality drama where, again, Nikita felt that they were had a system where they were supposed to alternate who would go out first for quality, who would get the toe, who would be prioritized, and it didn't quite happen. Also during the season, there were complaints about Nikita's chassis, that it wasn't really built for him, and that led to his dad, Dimitri, buying a chassis for Nikita so that he could have his own chassis as well, which is just spectacular when you think about it. I understand that, you know, Obviously, Dimitri Mazepin has an influence on that team. And obviously, he does contribute a significant amount of money and he wants to see Nikita do well. But if you're Haas and you got to put your resources towards something, you want to go with the driver that is going to give you the best chance. And that was unquestionably Mick. I mean, Mick outraced Nikita 16-6 to throughout the course of the season. And in quality, it was 20-2. to So Mick was undisputed better than Nikita in quality in the races. 
And you can see that on the track itself. Uh, in races where Mick had success, he was close to the Williams drivers. He fought with the Williams drivers. Even remember in the last Grand Prix of the year in Abu Dhabi, right? Um, Mick was fighting with Latifi towards that last lap, towards that last part of the race. And that's ultimately what led us to the safety car drama that we had. But Mick showed flashes of brilliance throughout the season. And that really should give some optimism for the team going into 2022. And listen, Gunther Steiner was very honest when, if you looked at on social media, Gunther had some videos about how the year went. And he was flat out honest, which you got to appreciate from a team that's at the back of the pack, not scoring any points, qualifying 19th and 20th. Uh, Steiner was very honest in saying that, listen, 2021 is not our year. You know what we're doing with our car this year. You know that this isn't the car that we can make, that we're capable of making, and these results are not unexpected. Yet, at the same time, I do gotta love Gunther's enthusiasm, and I think you saw some growth also from Mick and Nikita themselves. I think, genuinely, I do believe they had both matured as drivers and had what you could describe as a better second half of the season, a more solid second half of the season. You know, Mick definitely learning how to work with his teammates, work with the team, give the input with the team, uh, and just race as a more mature driver. And I think you saw that from Nikita as well, too. I think Nikita definitely grew during the season. I think he matured during the season and started to show flashes of brilliance and brightness as well. So not all lost from that team. And again, I know people love to hate on Nikita Mazepin, but... I think you got to be patient. I think one of the big issues with both drivers too, especially in the beginning of the year, is they came from a series where they were competitive. And I think there were definitely times where, I think even Gunther Steiner said, or maybe Nikita said it, where they were trying too hard. They were trying to drive beyond the limits of their car. And when you drive beyond the limits of your car, that is what can cause spin-outs and incidents and getting you to in- yourself into situations that you don't want to be in. That can be spinning out your car. That can be spinning out on the wet tires. Maybe you're a little young and inexperienced. So for 2022, really hoping that Haas can improve. And that really brings us to what should we expect from Haas in 2022? What can we expect from the American team in 2022 now that we know They have directed all their resources towards making their best car possible in the development with the new regulations for 2022. So what is possible with this team? And we know how much they've been investing on 2022. The fact that they completely dumped their season this year should give us hope, should give us decent expectations. What I think, I think we will see a rebound from Haas. And Haas has been in the past that little team that could. You know, they were one of the teams fighting against the Giants in Formula One. But yet at times they had a car which was fighting in the midfield. They had successful seasons in the past under Grosjean and Magnussen. And they've had results that kind of turned your head. 
They were a competitive car at one point. Did suffer from reliability issues. Did suffer from driver errors. But that doesn't mean they can't achieve what they once did next year. Especially with new regulations coming in. And especially with all their resources being devoted to focusing on 2022. So what I think is going to happen. I think with the maturity of both drivers. I think it's still clear that Mick will be the top driver on the team. I think Mick will be the leader of that team. I think Mick does have good communication skills, and there is this thing going around, right? We know that Mick in his second year of series tends to improve significantly. So with that, with Nikita maturing a little bit, with the team dedicating more resources and spending their year really testing the 2022 car, I think we could see them fighting definitely in that midfield. The question is, with the new regulations coming, what is going to be the standard for the midfield? What is going to be the standard for the bottom? I think next year could be really competitive from top to bottom. I don't think there's going to be as much of a separation from at least third in the constructors to last. I think we will see more of a gap bridging, especially when you're talking about like 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, and so on. I think we're going to see more of a competitiveness within those constructors towards the back. So I think you're going to see teams like Williams, like Alfa Romeo, like Haas, being more competitive, sticking around more with those top teams like the Alfa Tauris, the Alpines, the Aston Martins, um... You know, those teams are going to be more competitive. You would like to think, but you would like to think also that these teams at the bottom are going to be able to stick the fight. And I think we'll see Haas with some head-turning results next year. Are we seeing them get any podiums anytime soon? I don't think so. Will we see them in the points competitively? Will we see them in Q3s? I think so. I think we could definitely expect a more competitive Haas F1 racing team. Now, the other question too is, there was something I saw on the internet that there is a rumor going around that with these 2022 regulations, there is a team with a supposed Braun-like advantage. Braun Racing from 2009 with a supposed Braun Racing-like advantage. And somebody has figured out the technicalities of the regulations of the 2022 car to make a car that is really competitive and really fast. Could that be Haas Racing? You never know. That would really be something if Haas comes out of the gate with a brawn-like advantage. Do I really think it's Haas? Probably not. It's probably another team. But you never know. And if that was Haas Racing, that would truly be impressive that would be head turning and we really want to see this team do well I I think it's good for the sport to have a team like Haas in it uh, because of the fact that one helps bring if a team like Haas could do well especially in this time where the sport is growing in the United States if an American team starts to do well I think it can help make more notoriety in the sport in the States I think it's just good from a competitive angle too to see these lower teams doing better and having more success as well. I think it's healthy for the sport. I think it shows that the sport 
is trying to be more competitive. So hopefully Haas Racing as well can find more success in 2022. So again, like I said, not so much to comment on Haas because really they were towards the back. They had their inter-team drama, but it seems like hopefully most of that is rectified and hopefully we can settle that and have a good 2022 season for Haas. Moving on to other news. So, obviously, I just want to touch on some things that were out during the week. Uh, Again, obviously, I saw a report that Lewis is considering not retiring, which, again, like I said last week, was so obvious. And I still see the rumor persisting that Lewis is considering retirement. But it's just, I can't see it happening. Lewis is going to stick with the sport for a few more years. I I think even Toto said it. He's in his prime. This guy is not going to retire. It would just not be right for him to step away, and I don't think Lewis would feel that's right. That's not how Lewis is going to want to end his career. I'm telling you, Lewis is going to come out strong next year, and it's going to be interesting to see. Again, I still think Mercedes and Lewis are totally out for blood, and they should be because they deserve that opportunity. Lewis deserves that opportunity to win the championship straight out. I think we can all agree on that. And we think, I think we all agree that it would make a great story as well. Another interesting piece of news I saw was that uh, Toto was commenting on the radio chatter between the teams. Definitely, as Toto said, he definitely believed it was way too much from both teams. And I think all of us would agree with that as well. One issue with the season this year was the fact that teams were going back and forth way, way, way too much, trying to influence the decisions of the race director. And that's not fair. Not fair to the teams involved, not fair to the race director, and not fair to the sport. You know, the listen. It's fair that team principals care about their team and they want to complain to their race director. But during the race, trying to influence decisions like that, it's just both immature and it, and it causes a distraction, an unnecessary distraction. And we got all hinged up on it as well. Also in the news, Mick Schumacher and Antonio Giovinazzi named reserve drivers for Ferrari. So that's a very cool Definitely good for Gio that he's still sticking around. He's going to be working in that simulator, getting more experience. Definitely good for Mick. It's showing you, again, touching on the Haas theme here, showing you that Ferrari has seen Mick's level of maturity and the fact that Mick has been transforming himself and maturing himself as a driver indeed and that he is someone they might be able to trust down the line. Again, unfortunately for Mick, sometimes Formula One is about timing. Carlos Sainz, Carlos Sainz, why did I say that weird? Carlos Sainz did just have a spectacular season for Ferrari. So unfortunately for Mick, there is no chance that Sainz is going to be leaving that team anytime soon. But you never know. The world of Formula One is crazy. But if Sainz keeps performing the way he performed this year, uh, it's going to be a long time before Mick gets a chance in that Ferrari. And, you know, that's both... Good for Ferrari because that means Carlos is providing the level of competitive competitiveness they need. But a little sad for Mick because I know how bad we really want to see Mick in that Ferrari suit. Just 
to bring back a little of the nostalgia. I think we would love that for sure. And also good for Antonio that he gets to stay around the sport. I think nobody can complain about that. And then really just rounding out this podcast for this week, uh, hopefully this you know is enough to keep you held over. I'm going to try again to do the breakdowns twice a week, maybe once a week, depending on how things go. But one last thing, I uh, have to wish a special happy birthday to Adrian Newey. And Adrian Newey just turned 62. Yesterday, December 26th. Uh, definitely good for Adrian Newey. Um, celebrating his 62nd birthday. And one quite amazing thing we learned. We knew Adrian Newey was in a bad bike accident while on vacation in Croatia uh, earlier this year. But I don't think any of us realized the magnitude of it. And his wife actually uh, revealed how bad the accident actually was on social media. She revealed it on Instagram. Uh, Apparently for Adrian Newey, the incident was life-threatening and resulted in multiple skull fractures. Uh, During the race weekends and summer break, he had to work remotely. And for Adrian Newey, sorry, correction, 63, um, he almost lost his life. And that would have been such a tremendous loss to the Formula One world. Because he is one of the greatest designers of Formula One machinery that we've had. But yeah, uh, according to his wife, he um, almost lost his life in that cycling accident. He had multiple skull fractures and uh, he had a craniotomy, 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 sorry, I can't talk, craniotomy. um, And he went from that to participating virtually on the pit box and then in person on the pit box. It's just incredible. And of course, being a major factor in Red Bull's title this year with Max Verstappen. So really glad to see Adrian Newey's doing okay. Really glad that he's recovered well. And it's just tremendous to find that out that he was that close. I mean, I don't think any of us were aware how severe his injuries actually were. But definitely, again, glad that Adrian Newey is in good health and in good spirits and is able to launch and be the figurehead for Red Bull's 2022 F1 car. And we can't wait to see those reveals, especially, oh, I'm so excited to see what these 2022 cars look like. But thanks for listening to this week. Hope you enjoyed the breakdown of the Haas F1 team. Next week, I'm going to break down Alfa Romeo. Might even mix in Williams there because we're going to cut it close want to try to make all these teams before the uh, Bahrain Grand Prix, but hopefully we'll be able to do that and maybe get some good news while we're on the way there too, because as the season gets closer and closer, we know that there's going to be more and more news reports coming out. So thanks again for listening. Hope you guys tune in next week and enjoy another week of no F1 racing. We're almost there, folks, only 80 days. So enjoy and thank you again. Thank you again for listening to an American one. An American F1 podcast.